following message is from the North Shore Christian Centre MP3 Audio Lounge. More information about North Shore Christian Centre is available at www.nscc.org.au. Well, good morning, church. How are you today? Wasn't that great? Don't you love hearing those stories of helping others? So the three core values of our church is loving God, growing spiritually, and helping others. And uh, it's just wonderful, I think, just to have those three things put together at North Shore Christian Centre. What, what are we about? We're about loving God. We're about growing spiritually. And we don't stop there. It's about helping others. Because that's the first sign of being a disciple of Jesus, where you start helping others. If you have your Bibles, would you open up to Romans chapter 5, verse 8. message today is called Grace Came and Found Me. I want to talk to you about grace. I, I don't know why it, it's a controversial subject, but I want to give you some clarity on grace this morning. The amazing grace that God gives us. And I've titled this message, Grace Came and Found Me. And if there's one scripture in the Bible that encompasses this, it's Romans chapter 5, verse 8. It says, But God demonstrates His own love toward us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Can you believe that? That He loved us even before we knew Him? He loved us before we made a move towards Him. He came and found us. I've been reading uh, Romans in the Message Bible, and it's interesting to see how Mr. Peterson puts it together. But I love what he says in just as Romans moves on and he begins to explain grace, and Paul wrote the book of Romans, and it's just a beautiful book that explains what salvation is all about. Then the author of uh, the Message Bible, he puts it in verse 18 like this. Here it is in a nutshell. Just as one person did wrong and got us all into this trouble with sin and death, another person did it right and got us out of it. But more than just getting us out of trouble, he got us into life. I want to say that again. More than just getting us out of trouble, he got us into life. One man said no to God and put many people in the wrong. One man said yes to God and put many people in the right. Isn't that beautiful? I love that. Then verse 21 says, grace invites us into life. A life that goes on and on and on, world without end. So what do we do? Do we keep sinning so that God's grace can keep on forgiving us? I should hope not. If we've left the country where sin is sovereign, how shall we live in our old house there? Or didn't you realize we packed up and left there for good? And folks... This is the message this morning that I want you to get hold of. 
that grace came and found us in that country of sin, but loved us too much to leave us in the house of sin. And grace then leads us to God's country and plants us in the house of righteousness and said, I've saved you, not to just deliver you out of trouble, but to bring you into life. Grace came and found me, but loved me too much to leave me there. Grace then takes me to a new way of living, a new country of righteousness, the house of God where He plants us that we might live with Him forever and ever and ever and ever. Hallelujah. Grace came and found me when I was living in the house of sin. Grace comes and makes a journey across the great divide. You've got to understand that there's a great divide between righteousness and sin. And this is the amazing story, the greatest story that's ever been told. The story of salvation, the story of Jesus, the story of God's love, the story of God's grace, the story of the greatest journey that was ever made, the journey across the great divide, the journey from heaven to earth, the journey from the place of total righteousness to a place of total sin that Jesus made. Why did he make it? To find us. He came and found us. And where were we? We were in this house of sin, this house of rebellion, this house that was unclean, this house that was antagonistic to the things of God. And, and this, is, this is, you know, I, I'm not convinced that the world understands how offensive sin is to God. I'm not convinced that the average Australian fully understands how God is offended with sin. And I'm not convinced that the average Australian fully understands what sin is. I I, I honestly believe the average Australian kind of thinks that sin is murdering people, you know, abusing people, just the big baddies. Whereas in God's eyes, the definition of sin is simply disobedience to the will of God. That's all sin is, is disobedience to the will of God. And and how many Australians would be able to answer this question, are you obeying the will of God 100%? I'm not convinced there are too many Australians that can say, I am. And the reason you can't is because you're living in the house of sin. And there's this house of sin that blinds you. It's this house of sin that captivates you. It's this house of sin that you're living in. But this is the grace of God who would cross the great divide and come and find you in the house of sin and start knocking at the door and say, come on, I don't want to leave you in this house of sin. I want to take you to the house of righteousness. I want to take you across the great divide. I want to take you from death into life. I want to take you to a place where there's a new home that I've built for you. It's not the house of sin. It's the house of righteousness. 
See, the house of sin is filled with darkness, but the house of righteousness is filled with light. The house of sin is filled with captivity, but the house of righteousness is filled with forgiveness. The house of sin is filled with guilt and shame, but the house of righteousness is filled with forgiveness and release and love and the cutting off of anything that would cause you to live in guilt and shame. I love what the Message Bible says in Romans chapter 6, verses 2 to 3. It says, if you've left the country where sin is sovereign, how can we still live in our old house there? Or didn't you realize we packed up and left there for good? And I want you to grab hold of this because this is what grace does. It comes and finds us but does not leave us there. It takes us to a new place, a new place of righteousness. And the Apostle Paul says, if you've left the country of sin, don't go back there. That's not your destiny. Grace has saved you from there and planted you here. And don't go back there, nor look lovingly over the great divide for that which you had. Because that which you had was only destruction and things that would put you into bondage. That which God gives is just amazing. Can you get hold of this truth? That God will never take anything away from you that he will not replace with something better. He will always replace it with something better. So, so many people complain about, well, God wants me to give up this and God wants me to give up that. My friends, understand this, that all God wants to do is replace that which is destructive with something that is wonderful for you. And so if God says, give me that, I don't want you to have it. It's never to cause you to have pain, but it's always for you to have gain. And how many of us are fighting God when God is saying, give this up, give this up, give this up. And we're fighting, no, I want to keep it. I want it for me. Without realizing that God will never ask you to give something up that he doesn't replace with something better. Grace leads us to the house of righteousness. There's something beautiful about righteousness. There's something beautiful about being clean. There's something beautiful about just the wonder of God's forgiveness. Let me just say something that I want you to get hold of. Because when Jesus paid the penalty for our sins, I believe that he paid the penalty for our sins past, present, and future. So all sins, past, present, and future, have been paid for. But we need then to get access to the potentiality of that forgiveness. And this is where the controversy is. That yes, it's been paid for, but how do you get access to what's been paid for? 
And here it is, one word, one word. This, this is the word that will give you access to what's been paid for, the forgiveness. Are you ready for the word? What word is that? What word connects you to the price that, that Jesus paid? Here it is, one word, repentance. Come on, everybody say it, repentance. Repentance is the most beautiful word that you can place in your vocabulary. But go beyond placing the word repentance in your vocabulary and place the action of repentance. What repentance is, is simply a humility of heart where we acknowledge our mistakes and acknowledge that he paid the penalty to cover it over. So yes, of course, he paid the price for our sin's future, but you can't access that without repentance. And so don't give me this stuff. Well, I repented once when I was saved and it's all over and done with. What? You, you never make any more mistakes now? What? What? You, you've, never made, you've never made one blue? What? You're now living in total perfection? Are you? I'm certainly not. I, I'd love you to teach me how. And so what happens when I make a mistake? I grab hold of that word repentance because it's my key to unlock the forgiveness that's there. It's the key to unlock the grace of God. It's the key that unlocks that mercy, that forgiveness, that wonderful, that wonderful gift of God. It unlocks it. It gives it to me. And I'm able to walk in the righteousness of God. What a wonderful thing it is. And that's why Jesus taught us to pray, Father, forgive us our sins on a daily basis. Father, forgive us our sins as we forgive those that have sinned against us. Come on, walk in a daily walk of repentance. It's a beautiful thing to walk with this attitude of God I don't want to make any mistakes but if I do I ask your forgiveness and grace comes and washes over you washes over you see Paul says what shall we sin that grace may abound come on don't 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 treat grace cheaply don't abuse grace grace is such a beautiful gift It is such a wonderful thing that God gives us, but don't abuse it. It's so easy to abuse a beautiful gift like grace. And so now that we're saved, we don't abuse it, but we walk in the knowledge of it. I want to share with you a couple of stories about Jesus showing grace. And I had seven, but I'm going to reduce it down to two just for time factor. But I just love... Two stories. One is the story where Jesus finds a woman at the well. And another one is a story where Jesus finds a man at the tombs. And so let's talk about the woman at the well and then we'll talk about the man at the tombs. But the woman at the well is a beautiful story in John chapter 4 that I love. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to it, John chapter 4. Because it's a story of amazing grace. Not a story of condemnation, but a story of grace. Because Jesus finds this woman. You say, I I thought the woman found Jesus. No, Jesus plonked himself at the well. He just sat there. He said to the disciples, you go into the city. You go get some food. But I'm just going to sit here for a while. Why? Because he was so tired he couldn't do that. No, he knew that there was a divine appointment coming. And it wasn't normal to have divine appointments. Why? Because in those days, nobody goes to draw water at the well in the heat of the day. You do it either early morning or you do it late at night when it's nice and cool, but you don't do it in the middle of the day. And so here's about midday. Jesus sits himself at the well and this woman comes. 
that Jesus had set this appointment with. I just want you to just think about that for a little while. That God sets appointments up with you. See, you're not here today because of coincidence or because someone dragged you here. You're here by divine appointment. And the divine appointment is so that God can show you his grace. God can show you his unmerited favor because that's what grace is. God wants to show you his incredible love as he did to this woman at the well near a town called Sychar in a place called Samaria, not far from Jerusalem. And when she comes, she comes into this sphere of love and acceptance. I mean, she, she could hardly believe it. Why is that? Well, for, on, on, on so many levels. On the first level is this, is that the Jews and the Samaritans hated each other. They just did not have any connection. How many of you remember the story of the Good Samaritan? Jesus was trying to give it to the Jews because they hated the Samaritans. And he wanted to show them that by loving your neighbor, the ones that you're supposed to love are the Samaritans. And so you've got this, you've got this level where the Jews and the Samaritans didn't get on well at all. So that was level one. Then the second level is where men and women that are alone, that don't know each other, don't talk to each other. So you've got two levels there, not just Jew, Samaritan, but male, female. And then when you add Jewish male to Samaritan female, it goes down about 35 levels. It's just, it's just not on. It's just there is no connection there. But Jesus is reaching out to her with grace. He finds her. And then notice that Jesus, the great prophet, and even she acknowledges that he's a great prophet, knows her whole life, knows exactly what's going on. And notice that not once does he point the finger of condemnation. See, what Jesus does is that he looks and finds the deep need in her heart. And what was the deep need in her heart? She was empty on the inside. That was the deep need. And so when people are empty on the inside, they go looking for things to place on the inside. And this woman thought that maybe men were the answer. She thought, I need love. Maybe, maybe she grew up in an abusive home. Maybe she grew up in, in a home where dad was never there. Maybe she grew up in a home where she lacked a father's love. And so she started looking in the arms of other men for the love that she lacked from her father. I don't know what the story is, but one thing that I know is that she went from man to man to man. She'd already gone through five husbands. Imagine being divorced and remarried five times. And now you're on your sixth man. And he's not even your husband. You're in a de facto relationship. And you now get confronted with Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the Holy One of God. How many, how many people would cringe in horror at the very thought of all my sins exposed? But not with Jesus. He looked at her and he said, this woman's great need is that she's empty on the inside. I'll offer the gift of God where she can drink of water, where she will be so filled that she'll never thirst again. And so he starts to offer her 
a need that was right there on the surface. And that's how Jesus starts this whole ministry of grace. He finds the need that's on the surface, starts with that, and then starts working down. And he begins to say to her, listen, I've got water for you to drink. And once you drink of this water, you'll never thirst again. And she's saying, oh, I want that, please. Give me, give me this water that I can drink of that, 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 that I'll never thirst again. And then Jesus leads her on a journey of grace. To the point where she begins to discover. And a beautiful conversation starts about the Messiah and about the coming one. And Jesus gently leads her to the point where he reveals to her that the one whom she is seeking is actually him. And it was like, that was so easy. That was just awesome. No condemnation. No, 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 nothing but, but love and acceptance. Do you see what happened? Jesus went and met her where she was at. And then he takes her on a journey, a satisfaction, so that he can plant her in the house of righteousness. You know, when she was so overwhelmed, when the disciples came, she rushes off to her city. She invites all of her friends, come and meet this man that told me everything about him. This could be it. You know, the one we're looking for, the Messiah, this could be it. Come, come. And they all went. You know, you know what sort of credibility did this woman have in her city? You think about it. Five husbands, the one she's living with now is not a husband. I I think most of them would have said, you poor little old thing. Yeah, we'll look after you, but boy, you are a mess. And now here's the woman in a mess telling them what they're seeking for. And she was so convincing that they all went to find Jesus. And when they found him, they persuaded him. They begged him, please come to our city. Please come to our city. We want to know you. We, we, you've done something to that woman. We've noticed the change in her already. The change that we've seen in her, we want to see in us as well. Come to our city. And Jesus went there for two days. And for two days, they sat at his feet. And for two days, he taught them the truth. He went and found them. And you know what the conclusion was? In verse 42 of of John chapter 4, the conclusion that all of that Samaritan city came to was that Jesus is the Christ, the Savior of the world. What a wonderful revival took place in that little town of Sychar that day where Jesus went and found a woman in the house of sin and planted her in the house of righteousness. That's grace, my friends. That's grace. Then in Mark chapter 5, we have a second story of Jesus demonstrating grace. And I love this. Because we go from a woman at a well to a man in the tombs. And in Mark chapter 5, we see this story of Jesus going to Gadara. He'd just been in revival in Capernaum. And those of you that have been in Israel know that, that Capernaum is on one side of the Sea of Galilee. Gadara is on the other side. And so he's been through this revival in Capernaum. The, the home base, and it's, a, it's an amazing place, Capernaum, right by the Sea of Galilee. And it's where Peter's mother in, mother-in-law got healed, and, and it's where incredible miracles happened. But he says to the disciples, we need to cross over to the other side. We need to cross over to the other side. 
Why is that? Because Jesus in his heart knew there was someone on the other side that desperately needed him. We need to cross over to the other side. And you know the storm and all that sort of stuff happened as they were crossing over to the other side, but they made it. And when they get to the other side, what do they find? What Jesus finds is that there is a man who is incredibly tormented. You've got to understand the torment of this man. He didn't want to live in the tombs. But the torment on the inside of him caused him to live in these caves that were dug out of the rock where people would put the buried dead. It was just, it was a, ho- a place that was very scary. To this day, Gadara is scary. To this day, Gadara is filled with witchcraft. Anna and I were just recently in Jordan and the Assemblies of God pastor from the town of Gadara was in our meetings. And he says, I'm the man from Gadara. Well, I wanted to cast some demons out of him, but he, but he was fine. He was cool. And I said, tell me what it's like. He says, the town is filled with witchcraft. He said, said this, this place has been a place of witchcraft for millenniums. But Jesus went to that town of witchcraft 2,000 years ago. Why is that? Because he saw a man who needed grace. And Jesus went to the place of the tombs to find this man who was tormented, a man who was, I mean, he wouldn't even wear clothes. He was crying day and night. He would self-harm. Can you imagine what a pitiful specimen of humanity Jesus found? If you could classify someone as psychologically at the lowest ebb of life, it would have to be this man, away from home, away from family, living in the tombs, naked, crying day and night, self-harming day and night, tormented day and night. What a horrible place to live in. But Jesus went to him. This is grace. Grace finds you where you were at. And rather than condemning this man, rather than telling him all the reasons why he got himself into such a mess, rather than pointing the finger of condemnation at him as others had done, Others had tried to put him in chains. Others had tried to to, to cause him to submit, but nothing had worked. But Jesus comes along, not with a finger of condemnation, but with a hand of love and reaches out saying, I know what's tormenting you. And he starts rebuking those spirits that were tormenting him. Come out of him. Come out of him. Release him. Those things that are keeping this man in bondage for this purpose was the Son of God manifest to destroy the works of the evil one. And there are people in the house of sin that are tormented. There are people in the house of sin that are suppressed by devils and demons and every sort of plague from the pit of hell that are causing people to be depressed and taking drugs and self-harming. Oh yeah, it's not only happening to thousand years ago it's happening now to a generation of young people that are self-harming on a daily basis why because there's a torment on the inside of them and Jesus in his love and mercy 
He's reaching out saying, for this purpose was the son of God manifest to destroy the works of the evil one. And I want to say to you, church, as as those that have been possessed by the spirit of God, if you are a son and daughter of God, for this purpose was the spirit of God manifesting you so that you might destroy the works of the evil one, so that you might destroy the works of the devil. Come on, as disciples of Jesus. Jesus, it's not about feed me, feed me, give me, give me, but Lord, empower me that I might be your hand in the world, that I might be your voice in the world, that I might be your heart wherever you go. I want to be anointed to show your grace and mercy to people whose lives are being destroyed by the works of the evil one. And before you know it, This man is released from all those tormenting spirits. And you can see the difference. I'm telling you, you can see the difference. You only have to look into their eyes and you can see the difference. And so once this man was released, Jesus said, quick, get some clothes, put it on him. In the past, anybody tried to put clothes on him? I don't know what the reason. Maybe it was causing pain on his flesh, but he'd take them off. But now... It was like, no, let me be covered. I, I, I acknowledge that I'm naked. I'm, I'm, I acknowledge that I need to be covered. And he's sitting at the feet of Jesus. And Jesus is teaching him the paths of righteousness. And Jesus saved him from the house of sin. And now is leading him to the house of righteousness. And planting him in the house of righteousness and imparting to him the word of life, the word of God. Just And when the people of the town came, they saw this man who was once the craziest man in the land sitting at the feet of Jesus, clothed and in full mind, listening to the words of Jesus because they were life to him. They were life to him. They were life to him and you know what his conclusion was oh Jesus now that you found me I don't want to ever leave you I don't want to ever be away from you would you take me with you wherever you go take me with you I remember one of my first missions trips to India the same thing happened I was preaching in the middle of this street with my interpreter. And, uh, and, and, and this man comes up with menacing signs. I couldn't understand what he was saying. But basically, when someone goes like this, you know it's a menacing sign. <laughs> and so, so, so what happens was this man is... is, is could t- I could read the body language was saying, be quiet or I'm going to slice your throat. They were the, the menacing, menacing uh, words. And then he starts coming, pushing people aside, coming to the front. And I, I didn't know whether he had a knife or not. But I pointed at him and I said, in the name of Jesus, release this man. And he falls on the ground in front of us. And we just ministered deliverance to him. And you could see just his whole body language start to change. And, uh, and, and then we use that as an illustration of the power that's in the name of Jesus. And lots of people got saved that day on the street. But I'll never forget after about an hour or so on that street corner with this guy, just blessing him, releasing him, sharing him. He, he, I, 
He said, please, can I come with you and your team? Please, I want to go where you go. And I just remembered the story of Jesus. And I said, please go and tell your friends what Jesus has done for you. Because he's come to you today to visit you in your village, to release you from death and to give you life. And so what we have is this story of this man who then goes to the 10 cities of his region. It's 10 cities around Gadara. And he starts telling everybody the wonderful things that Jesus had done. You know, let me tell you, there is a postscript to this story. And what's the postscript? Well, the postscript is this, that the people of Gadara were so freaked out by what happened and and, uh, that they asked Jesus to leave. They asked Jesus to leave. But you know what happens? Jesus did leave. But a few months later, he came back. And you know what happened the second time he came back? He had a revival. All of a sudden, all the people embraced him and said, yeah, please pray for our sick. And you know what my conclusion is? My conclusion is that this guy had done such a good job of going to the 10 villages, the 10 towns, and telling them what Jesus had done, that the next time Jesus returned, he'd already laid the foundation for the ministry of Jesus, and they had a revival in that district because this man went and told his friends how wonderful the grace of God was. One more story. I've just got to finish with this one more story. You can come up, Dan. Because this is a story of the thief on the cross. Amazing story of grace. Why is it an amazing story of grace? Because I don't know about you, but have any of you been in agonizing pain? Migraine. Anybody had a migraine? A really bad migraine? Or been really badly seasick or, or just in agony? Okay. So if you were to multiply your worst pain by a thousandfold, then you might come close to the agony that Jesus was in on the cross. Do you hear what I'm saying? Crown of thorns, nails in his hands, nails in his feet, being flogged. Just, But in his agony and his pain, he notices someone next to him. Man, when, when, if I've got a migraine, I'm, I'm, I'm in pain, I don't notice anything. Just leave me alone is the best thing you can do. But here's the thieves on the cross. One saying, Save yourself. If you're the son of God, save yourself. Save yourself. And while you're at saving yourself, save us as well. All about me. All about me. Then the next thief's looking across and he says, how dare you? Do you realize that we're here because of what we've done? But not this man. He's done no wrong at all. And then he turns to Jesus and says, Jesus, I just need some hope. I'm in a situation where it looks pretty hopeless. But I need some hope, not in this world, but in the next world. Would you remember me when you come into paradise? I just need just a glimmer of hope, just, just an ounce, just, just something of hope in this hopeless world. And then Jesus looks at him and he says, Assuredly, this day you will be with me. And I can't think of a more beautiful picture of grace 
then this thief who'd probably never done an honest day's work in his whole life being accompanied into paradise with Jesus by his side what had he done he, he, look he'd done no confessional he'd done no catechism he hadn't even been baptized it was just remember me just you be quiet this man's done no wrong I just I've heard of him and this, he's, he must be the son of God and it's just that very simple basic confession it wasn't the Lord's prayer it wasn't the apostles creed it was just a very simple confession of this man must be the son of God he's done no wrong Jesus will you remember me when you come into paradise and that was enough to catch on to God's grace on the cross Jesus found him, his last convert before he died on the cross, reached hold of him and said, can I take you from your house of sin to a house of righteousness and plant you into the kingdom of God? And Jesus led him. Within a few hours, both of them were dead. But Jesus led him into paradise. That's the grace of God, my friends. That's the grace of God. He came and found me. He came and found you. Don't struggle and stay in the place of sin. That's not your eternal abode. Jesus crossed the great divide to come and save you from that so he could plant you into the house of righteousness, the house of grace, the house of mercy, the house of forgiveness, the house of connection with God. That's the eternal house that God wants you to live in. Don't look over the great divide, hankering for that place of sin, all those things of the world, those things of the world that destroy you. Don't look over the great divide, wanting that. Just look to Jesus and say, there is a purpose for you coming across the great divide to save me. And Lord, because you have saved me, help me to show grace to others. Help me, the recipient of grace, to now be a dispenser of grace. That wherever I go, I might show some love and compassion and mercy to others. Never pointing the finger of condemnation, but always reaching out the hand of grace and mercy. Thanks for listening to this message from the North Shore Christian Centre Audio Lounge. We invite you to visit us online at www.nscc.org.au. Through our website, you can keep up to date with what's happening in the life of our church in Chatswood, New South Wales, as well as accessing other free resource materials. 